Now, the book of Joshua, as we go through this, you guys, remember, um, uh, we're, we're kind of coming really at the end of chapter 11 as we finish this, and we'll kind of move very quickly through the rest of the book, because um, the Lord kind of gives us some pretty good detail about them getting ready and then going over and then the first couple of battles. But after tonight, really, we there's very little information. It's a matter of fact, just apportioning out the land to the people. And so, you know, as we kind of continue through the rest of the book, you know, it'd probably only be another week or two that we'll spend in it and then we'll pretty much be done. Uh, maybe the last chapter or two we might spend a little more time on. But a lot of it's just um, it's just. God fulfilling his promises and giving uh, the land as he said he would to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they're just going to divide it and we can see the boundaries of the land and what might take 10 or 15 verses, we can look at a picture and say, well, there's a city, is this what it is? And so we'll probably do that on, on some of that as we, we go through that. But before we get there, we finished off last time in chapter 10 with Joshua kind of taking the middle and the southern portion of the country, um, remember the, some of the kings in the south there had kind of got together and said, let's, let's fight them, and, and they did that. And now uh, we're going to turn towards the northern part of the land, and again, I'll show you pictures on that. Uh, something important to keep in mind, that the battles from when they cross over to when they're pretty much done, and again, it, done means... Um, that they, as, as all of them working together, you know, all the people from all the different family groups working together as one large army, that will be finished. And then it's up to each individual groups of people and what land they settle to, to finish the work. And so that entire battle where, or the title time they're at war is, is about seven years. So just when they cross over from when they do Jericho till... Uh, pretty much, you know, the end of the, the battle when they all battle together as a, as a big group is, a, is about a seven years long. So, um, you know, it's, I don't know if that's longer or shorter, but it's a, that's a pretty good length of time uh, to do that. So it's about seven years with the entire effort of all the groups. And so we're going to look at the last chapter, or chapter 11, the last part of that, of the war. And that's, let's look at that in verse one. It says, and it came to pass when Jabin... Uh, king of Hazor heard these things, that, that being that they heard all the, the defeats and the victories for the Israelites or the Hebrews, that he sent uh, Jobab, the king of uh, Madan, the king of Shiron, and the king of Ashepheth, and the kings who were uh, from the north in the mountains and in the plains of Chinneroth, in the lowland and in the heights of, uh, was it, Perizite, Perizite, and the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon, and the land of Mizpah, verse 4. So they went out, they and all the armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, a very, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Meron to fight against Israel. So, again, here's kind of a, a layout of the land, and I'm sorry I couldn't find my laser pointer. Um, but this is just kind of the northern, and you, this is kind of topographical, so you can see the mountains and the valleys, and you can see how low the Sea of Galilee is, which is 
which is right here. And, and you can see all these groups that are going to meet together. And the battle is going to be right here. And uh, all these kings are, are going to gather up here. And now, um, this is a, a, a huge uh, army coming together. And it's going to be different than the other battles because it just... Um, they just won't be attacking fortified cities. They're going to be battling in the open country now with a larger and far superior groups of people coming together um, to, to fight an army that's very well equipped. We talk here now of chariots and, and horses. And the people, the idea of the multitude of sand on the seashore is that you just couldn't count them. The, the, the Bible uses those, that term pretty often when it's just like this innumerable number of people. In other words, if you were to see them all lined up and all ready for battles and all over, you just couldn't count them all. There's just more than you could count. And that was the idea here. And so these guys are... Remember, again, so when they talk about the king from here and the king from there, remember there were city-states, uh, and I always use our description that we have here. Um, remember, you, you think about it, like uh, think of Santa Cruz County. Let's say that was the promised land. Well, Watsonville would have its own king, uh, Aptos would have its own king, uh, Capitola, Santa Cruz, Scotts Valley. They would all have their own little kings and their, you know, you would have maybe one big walled city that was fortified and then you'd own all the land around it. Sometimes they'd have one or two or three if they were a little bigger kingdom, we'd say. But, but again, that, kind of think of it that way. And these kings would normally fight against each other, but they realized that, uh, you know, if they don't, in their own thinking, at least, if they don't team up, forget it, it's all over. Uh, you know, these guys are going to wipe us out individually like they have in the South. And so, again, now they're gathering together, and we see that they have now chariots. And think of a chariot as um, a tank in their day. Uh, really, a horse was just something that uh, was pretty powerful, and a chariot was like the modern-day tank on a battlefield, pretty, pretty tough weapon. And so these guys are coming out, and the odds are looking, you know, pretty pretty rough again as usual. And this is so they're they're gathering together. But verse six, the Lord said to Joshua, "Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire." So again, and remember Joshua is told a number of times throughout the, the book, and even really when Moses is you know, commissioning him at the end of Deuteronomy, don't be fearful, don't be afraid. And the Lord will remind him that a number of times, especially before the battles. And he says, don't be afraid. Because there was reason for them to be afraid. He, he, he's saying, don't worry, I got this, I got it. And uh, tomorrow you're going to have the victory. Isn't that pretty incredible, isn't it? Now, um, you, don't, you don't need to be afraid. I'm going to give you the victory. And then he gives them some important instructions. He said, hamstring the horses and burn the chariots. What that would mean, remember, these horses were bred and, and taught for war. Um, 
you can't really think of them as uh, horses we have like today out here and around people have. You know, the horses see you and they kind of, you know, if they're scared, they'll just run away. I mean, these horses were taught, and usually they were stallions, so they were the bigger horses, the stronger horses, and they were taught to, taught to, to charge into people. The idea is there's soldiers out there, you know, you take two or three horses, if you have four in a chariot or two or whatever it might be, or if you're just on, on horseback, you know, the idea is they would run into people. And so, you know, 2,000 pounds, whatever they weighed or something like that, they would, the idea was they were just a massive force um, out on the battlefield. And then if you had them hooked up with the chariot, that was just the engine behind it, man. And these guys, you know, would storm into battle and they could use their swords and their bow and arrows and all sorts of things to cut down people as they were going through and, and run them over and, and all those sorts of things. And so the Lord said, listen, when you have victory, and I'm going to give it to you, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take those powerful horses and basically, uh, what, what that is, hamstring, is just think of your Achilles tendon in your foot. You, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody that's broken those or, or cut that. You, you literally can't move your, your heel the way it is. What that would do would make the horse, it would make it um, useless in battle again. Now, it still could be useful to, run a, uh, to move a plow or to, to carry things because it could just walk. But it, it would... As, as far as a weapon or using it in war, it would, it would be completely worthless because it couldn't, it couldn't go above a walk. And then he said, when you get those chariots too, you're to burn them, which again would make them completely useless. Why? Because God wanted them to depend on him to win the battles and it was because of him and nothing of themselves. Because imagine if they had these Huge, imagine if they, God's going to give them the victory, and let's say they, they captured them, however many there were. Let's say there's 100 of them or 500 of them, whatever it might be, and 1,000 horses or 500 horses, whatever it was. It doesn't give us the number. But let's assume there's you know, a pretty good number of them. Is that, hey, we can just take those, and now we can use them for our next battles. And the Lord says, listen, not having any of that. I want you to depend on me for each battle, and I'll give you what you need for victory, but you've got to depend on me. It's not going to come from uh, your own ingenuity or gathering their implements of war and using them against them or against other people. Um, we'll see that many times throughout uh, the Bible, especially when we get into the kings with Saul and, and David particularly. Um, he would capture great uh, amounts of these, and you would do the same thing. He would, he would do the same thing. You'd get rid of the chariots and hamstring the horses. Sometimes you'd keep a few, but most of the time they would do the same thing. Again, it was just showing their dependence on the Lord and not on anything else. And I believe the Lord wants us to do the same thing today, really, you know? Because uh, uh, we get the attitude sometimes, okay, thanks, Lord, you got us through that tough one. Oh, man, that was a, a battle I didn't think would win. I don't think... I don't know how I was going to come out ahead on this. I don't know how it was all going to work out, but you came through. And then, you know, sometimes we can have the attitude, well, I got it from here. And I'll just keep, you know, I, I got it. Thank you, Lord. I'll keep going. And, and the Lord always wants us to depend on him. He's always moving us to a place of dependence on him. And typically, we're always moving away from a place of being dependent. We want to be on more sure ground. You know, whether it's with our health or our finances or job situation or, 
you know, any of those situations. We're trying to get everything so it, there's not these worries and these problems. And the Lord's always moving us to constantly depend on Him because He knows that's the greatest place not only to bless us, but to show Himself who He is and to build our faith. And so we want to depend on Him. He wants them to depend on Him, and so He says, get rid of that stuff. You're not going to depend on it. Well, verse 7, So Joshua and all the people of war uh, with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Meron, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to the to greater Sidon, to the brook Meseroth, and to the valley of Mizpah eastward. They attacked them until they left none, uh, uh, none of them remaining. And so here's a little layout of the uh, of the the area here, and kind of going back over. Uh, this is when they were coming into the land. They had the victories on this side of the of the Jordan River, then they crossed over with Jericho and Ai and the Gibeon, remember all that, then they had the battles down here, they took all these towns, and then now they went up there, and that was the next fight, see it, um, Maron up there, and then they uh, went, and uh, you'll see here in a minute, they'll go over to Hazor, so that gives you some idea of uh, the battles that they had fought there, and, and they're going over there, and I think I have, well, that's not it. I'll show you another one in a little bit, but these guys are basically taking off and running in different directions and heading uh, away and fleeing from them, but the Lord's given them victory. And so, just as the Lord said, he um, had victory. They went down fast and hard, really. I mean, you think about it, all these kings, all these groups of people that are very powerful all got together, and literally the Lord just gave them a quick victory. And... Uh, you know, the reminder is for us is allow God to fight the battles and, you know, what a, we're just guaranteed to come out ahead on those things, <laughs> always. And that was what he did and that's what he's, you know, doing here. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. You know, I like that. It's important they did just as the Lord commanded. They didn't try to do things their way. They didn't, you know, come up, well, but yeah, I know the Lord said that, but man, we could really use those chariots and those horses. I mean, we got battles coming up here. I mean, just think how much faster we could chase them down if we had horses and chariots. And, and you know, and, and then what happens after we defeat them? You know, what if other people come in the future and try to take over the land? And, you know, we could... We could that'd be a great asset to have in the future. And you know, but they didn't entertain those things, which is what we're, we're we tend to do. No, we're going to walk by faith. The Lord gave us that victory here. He gave us a victory back there. He gave us a victory before that. He gave us a victory now. He's going to give us a, vic a victory next time. We're, we're going to walk by faith, and that's really what the Lord wants us to do: to walk by faith. You're going to trust, I gave you, yeah, I gave you victory. You do it my way, you're going to give it, yeah, I'm going to give you a victory. And again, there could have been a lot of thoughts about, oh, I can do this, and it would be so much better if I did this, and boy, it would help us in the future. And the Lord says, listen, I want you to trust me. Walk in faith. It's far more important than 200 or 500 or 300 or 50 chariots, whatever it was, uh, and all those strong horses pulling them. Walk in faith. 
and we'll have the victory. Guaranteed. Well, verse 10, Then Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was, Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. So Hazor was a very powerful uh, king. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. So again, here's that Hazor again. He took that major city in that whole area up there. That king was one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful up there. And, and then he burned that city. Now remember, there was only a couple of cities that they burned. We know they burned Jericho and Ai and then Hazor. Um, and it was kind of, a, I, I think, it's kind of like the great victory that the Lord had given him over those, uh, you know, certainly over, over these these. Uh, city, certainly Jericho and Hazor being very powerful. And so he left them. As a matter of fact, you go up to Hazor today where the, where the uh, they call it a tell, which is a big mound of dirt where the old city was, and it just, when it just destroyed, it just looks like hill of, hills of dirt, you know, um, and all the ruins underneath it. Um, you know, when you, you go up there and look, you can still see a, a level of ash where Joshua actually burned that down there. It's, uh, it's still able to be seen today and um, so but they only did that on three cities remember the rest of the cities were for the people to occupy uh, they would move in it would be theirs and they would have uh, all theirs to move into with the exception of these uh, three cities and then we'll talk about again about the people and what Joshua was doing putting them uh, to death in a little bit here because we'll be talking about that in a little bit and then verse 12, so all the cities of those kings, all their kings, Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves and they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and, le and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. What a great testimony Joshua has here. He did everything he was supposed to do. And that's the record. He was told to do that, and he did that. And, and isn't that real faith at the end of the day? Because if somebody asks you, well, how do you define faith? I mean, really, what's faith? I hear about faith, but I mean, how do you really de define it? Really, faith is uh, you trust God by doing what he tells you, even though you don't understand it all, or you don't understand it completely, or you don't understand it at all but you still do it anyway because that's what he told you to do. See, most of us, are kind of, we get in that rub as, well, I don't understand it, or Lord, you haven't given me the details, or it doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, how could that be? I mean, I don't know how that's going to work. If I do that, I don't know how it's going to work out. And, and so we have this kind of battle in our minds where, you know, we know the Lord's leading us in one way, but we think, man, it's going to be miserable if I do that, or it's going to be worse if I do that, or I don't know how it's going to work out if I do it that way, Lord. But if I do it this way, the way I, I figure it's going to work out okay if I kind of do it this way. And, you know, real faith is 
okay, Lord, I know this is the way you're leading me. I don't know how it's going to work out. I can't see how it's going to be good or how it's going to, you know, uh, work out this situation or problem or difficulty. But I'm going to do it even though I don't understand it at all or completely or, or any part of it. But I know you're leading me and I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. And that's what you can say about Joshua. He's doing it anyway. It doesn't make sense to, to get rid of all those powerful, well-trained horses and those chariots and, to, and even to destroy a city like, you know, Hazor. You know, we could really use all the materials there. But, you know, he's going to do what the Lord called him to do and uh, not look to the right or the left about it. And he is commended for that. And so uh, he does that. Now, again, a quick word, as we've talked about in the prior weeks a number of times, because it's been repeated many times. Remember, the Lord told Moses way back when, told the people way back then, reminded Joshua again and the people again, that when you go into the land, you're to wipe out everything. Because if you leave any of the old there, it's going to be a problem for you. You need to get rid of it all. Remember, uh, way back in Genesis, what is it, 15 or so, uh, God told Abraham, hey, this is going to be your land, but you're not going to get it uh, for about 400 years. And it was actually a little bit more than 400 years by the time they got there. Because, uh, I'm, you know, uh, the, I, I can't give it to you because the people, I'm giving them 400 years to turn the ship around. But of course, because they're getting worse and worse and the sin was getting worse and worse and they were sacrificing their children and there are all kinds of evil and sin. It was, it was horrific. And the Lord said, listen, it's going to get to the point where there's a point of no return. And God knowing everything, he said it's going to be a little after 400 years, and then I'll give you the land. But he was giving them time. And he warned them over and over again, listen, make sure you follow through with this, because if you don't, it is going to be a problem. And what's going to happen is then they're going to start influencing you. And then you're going to start doing what they were doing. And then once you start living like they were living before they got in the land, the same thing is going to happen to you. I'm going to kick you out of the land and, and, and it's going to be a big hurt on you guys as well because you're going to find you're going to wind up doing the same thing. And I and I I'm not going to tolerate it from you or from them. Uh, and so and we know that's exactly what happens is uh, they, they they do exactly that. They don't listen. Uh, they don't do that. And and it causes them all sorts of problems and pain. Um, for the next uh, thousand years or so until they finally get kicked out and then they have to humbly come back, you know, by, the, you know, not very many and build over again uh, after God, you know, moved them out. So, so again, remember, um, the Lord's telling them that. There's a point where that's enough, that's all, and you need, to, you need to deal with that. And we've talked about that many times and we'll see it over and over again, especially in the book of Judges. So, uh, Joshua was listened, did everything he was told to do. Verse 16, thus Joshua took all of this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands from Mount uh, Halak, the ascent of Sur, as far as Baal Gad to the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings, struck them down and killed them. And Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. And again, we don't know how long each of these battles took, but we know it wasn't quick. The war, uh, you know, some of the battles, obviously, like we just read, went by pretty quick, but then there was more as they were going through the land and doing all these things. And of course, 
Not all of them are recorded here in detail. When we get in the next few chapters, it'll name all the cities they went to, but all the battles aren't detailed out here. And I just want to point that out because um, sometimes we want the Lord to end our battles pretty quickly, don't we? We got this going on, and this happened. Oh, Lord, just end this quickly. Just get rid of this problem in front of me and this situation and this battle that I'm having. Lord, just please just end this quickly. And sometimes he does. Like in Jericho, you know, and, and really in the battle here in Hazor, it seems like it went pretty quickly. Other times, you know, it seems to go on for a long time. You know, I have some long time battles. It just seems like, you know, why the, the you know, those things just don't seem to ever go away and there isn't the victory that you'd like to have and it just seems like this slow thing. And, and that sometimes that's just the Lord working in our lives. And, and he, he's teaching us and he's calling us to depend on him. And, you know, I think of Paul the Apostle in the New Testament, you know, he, he there's a man that really walked by faith and, you know, had great victory and the Lord showed him many things and and remember, there was kind of like one thing the Lord allowed to have him linger. He called it, you know, you know, it's like having a thorn stuck in your, you know, in your arm or something, your leg. He called it the thorn in the flesh. And he didn't really tell us what it was, but there was this one thing that just was constantly a problem for him. Some people thought maybe it was his eyesight. He couldn't see or he had eye disease. And there's a couple of reasons for that. But we don't know for sure, but you know there was one thing that was just seeming like it just never really uh, went away. It wasn't a quick victory, and but he realized that it, it took him some time, and he realized that you know, Lord, you're allowing this to stay in my life because it does a work that can't be done any other way. And he said, you know, then I learned to depend on your strength and and not my own. And that weakness caused me to depend on you more. And so sometimes the Lord allows these things to go on that, you know, we might depend on him more. And, uh, and sometimes there's long battles. And it seems like a long time. But as we walk in faith, he, he'll, he promises the victory. We can trust in that. Well, here's the kind of the rest of the summary of this chapter, verse 19. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, which we talked about last time. All the others they took in battle. For it was the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but he, ha he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And at that time, Joshua came out and cut off uh, the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debar, from Anab, from the mountains of Judah, and from all the other mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them in their cities. Uh, none of the Anak, Anakim, I'm sorry, were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remain only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. And Ashdod. So, again, um, you know, the Lord allowed those that had some faith, Rahab, she made it in. She had all the same information all the people in Jericho had and around Jericho, but she was the only one to, to believe that the Lord had given victory, and she walked in faith, and God allowed him, or her, her and her family to stay in the land. And the only other ones were those inhabitants of Gibeon. And they, too, although they kind of went in a more tricky way of doing it, 
But they realized that they, even though they were a strong and a powerful army, remember we talked about that last time, even though they, it would seem like they would have the victory, they realized, no, the Lord's stronger than all of this, and he's going to give them the victory, and we're going to lose, so we need to make peace with them any way we can. And the Lord allowed them to come into the land. But all the rest of them, they, there wasn't any faith to be found. And the Lord uh, said, uh, that's it. And they came against him, and that's what they were going to do. Now, and then he also wiped out, it says, the Anakim. These are those race of, of giants. They were descendants of Anak. And they were, remember the 12 spies way, way back in, in you know, when we're reading in Deuteronomy. They, uh, well, it wasn't in Deuteronomy, I'm sorry. Um, uh, numbers, uh, and they were counting them, and they were, they were sending the spies in there, and... Um, and, and the 12 spies went in, and then they all came out and said, oh, and the land is great and wonderful and beautiful and great. And they brought some produce. Wow, it's the best produce we've ever seen. Uh, and, but 10 of them said, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, there's all that. It's a great place. Boy, it would be wonderful to live, but there's no way we can bend. They're, they have big cities with high walls, and the, the race of the Anakin, these giants, live there. And we look like grasshoppers in their sight. In other words, we're tiny compared to them. There's no way we can beat these guys. And that's what caused them not to enter the land in faith, and they walked around the desert. You might remember that. Well, here again, Joshua and Caleb didn't fear uh, in those giants, but trusted in the Lord for victory. And sure enough, they had victory as the Lord had said. And the only ones that were remaining, notice, were those ones of Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. Also, the place where the Philistines lived. Now, who was the famous Anak that came against David and the army, or David defeated? Goliath. Remember, he was the giant guy that David beat in battle. Well, he was from Gath. And so there was um, giants. As a matter of fact, David defeated the last of them. Well, David defeated one. And then his nephew defeated another one, or was his brother? I think it was his nephew. And then there were some of his mighty men that, that defeated the rest of them. So in David's day, they were still around, and they were defeated. The rest of them were defeated in his day. But uh, anyway, that's where Goliath comes from, from that line. And uh, he came from, from Gath. And so those Philistines were the last ones to have it. But the, the very ones that everybody feared, now the Lord gives Joshua... Uh, and Caleb, that great victory, because uh, they trusted in the Lord. It wasn't about the size, it was about how big is your God. Verse 23, so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. And, and so again, the major battles are now over. You know, the back had been broken of all the armies there. And, and so this is kind of the end of the major campaign where they all would gather together as one nation and everybody would fight. And now um, it's, it's now the battles are going to be uh, taking the pockets of resistance and the other people that they didn't uh, fight in the major battles. And so, you know, here's the land and we'll see how it's divided up here. And here's the Jordan River running up the middle here. This is on the east side of the Jordan. We'll talk about the west side of the Jordan. And so now, uh, you know, they're, they're ready to divide up the land here. 
And, and now it was up to these individual tribes. Now, this is where the, the, where, the, where they will settle out. And there's the names of some of the towns and cities and so forth. But now it was up to this group. Now you live in this area. Your job is to finish uh, uh, taking care of all the inhabitants of the land. Judah, you're going to take care of your deal. You know, uh, Ephraim, you're going to take care of Manasseh, you know, at whatever the tribes, Asher, Napoli, you're going you're gonna to take care of all those towns and cities there. It's up to individual tribes or those groups of people um, to clear out the people. Some did. Others didn't. And as we'll see, it'll cost them in the end when they chose not to obey the Lord. All right, chapter 12. Chapter 12 is a very quick chapter because literally it's just a list of 31 kings that the Israelites had victory over. And, uh, you, you know, it just pretty much lists um, these uh, these people, these kingdoms, these kings that they had victory over. Uh, again, why does the Lord keep it here? Because you read it, you go, well, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. And what does it really mean to me? And why is it so important? And why does the Lord have it here? I mean, what is the king of uh, Ar, Ar, Ar? I mean, who? what's that? Who's that? I never heard of that. What's the big deal? Why list 31 kings here? You know, I think it's a great reminder, not only to the people, obviously, when they were living in the land, and they remember how they got there, certainly, but, you know, the Lord has given us great victory over many powerful enemies in our lives, sometimes our own flesh, right? He's given us uh, victory over great kings, over great things, and it's just important to remember that. It's always important to remember the great victories over things we thought could never change or never happen or there's no way this is going to ever, you know, move around or change or anything. And yet, you know, the Lord's given us great victories over powerful enemies. And uh, it's always good to remember those things because when the next big battle takes place, we tend to have a short memory of what God <laughs> did for us. Uh, a month, uh, 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 you know, six months, a year, two years ago in great victories. And so, um, again, it just lists these kings and these kingdoms and uh, it gives them all the possessions that they had. Now, the, the first verse one through verse six just talks about uh, those um, that were on this side of the border, um, you know, that talks about the land that was given these guys here uh, and, and it talks about the victories they had over these kingdoms over here and then the next part's going to talk about this over here and that color the darker color is what they had victory right now the green is the land that they were going to spread out and to take so they had the whatever color that is the darker color there and the, and the lighter color is um is the land that they were supposed to now continue to go out and get and move out and move into and, and have the victories in those areas. And so, you know, the, the first uh, six verses talk about the victories Moses, they had on this side, and then the, the last part of the chapter is uh, verses 7 through 21 talk about the kings that Joshua just had victory over on that side. Now, um, again, as you read some of these names, you know, the kings of the country and, you know, Baal Gad, the Valley of Lebanon, the Mount uh, Halak, uh, 
the ascent of Seir and you know the Amorites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, and all those other ones that they talk about these kings. Um, you know that you you see this and and you see that um, you know they're here and then they're gone. I you know these were in their day this was they were somebody special, somebody famous, somebody very important. They ruled over this this area that was theirs. But uh, interestingly enough, you know, after here they're mentioned and they fall off the pages of, of history. Um, and again, you know, there's a lot of people today that just get, you know, on the cover of People magazine and they're on, you know, TMZ is always following them around and taking pictures of them. And, you know, you know when they, when they sneeze last and somebody hand them a tissue because they report on every little thing that they said or did and, you know, this guy likes this girl, and she likes him, and this is, I mean, it's just, to me, it's like the most annoying thing. I don't, I don't see how people get any kind of entertainment by it, but a lot of people get entertained by it, and they're so fabulous, and you know, you know every detail of their life, and people, you know, watch and follow every little detail of them, and they follow their Facebooks and their Twitter, and their, like I said, you know, online TMZ articles, and all this kind of stuff, and you know, um, famous today, 15 minutes of fame, but in light of eternity, where do they really stand? And the things of eternity are going to last, and the things that are temporal, and the things that, are, that seem so important, the people that seem so powerful and seem to be so significant and well-known, you know, in light of eternity, you know, well, what are they going to end up? Are they going to end up known in God's word like, one of God's people, or they ended up in Joshua chapter 12 with just, yeah, they were somebody at some point for a short period of time, but in light of eternity, well, their, na their name fades away to nothing. And so, um, again, um, what's important? So you're not well known, or nobody will ever know you, or nobody ever understand any of these things, but hey, are you written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Are you going to heaven? Hey, that makes your name... And who you are, you know, uh, in the eternal books of, of our Heavenly Father. And that's where you want to be recognized, not by how much money you made or how good of an actor or actress or how good of a musician or a whatever, you know, people get fame for starting some dot-com company or something, you know. Hey, you want to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, amen? And uh, not some flash in the pan. And they'll have their... They're a little bit of fame now, but I'd rather celebrate through all eternity than have 15 minutes of fame on this earth. It goes in a blink of an eye, huh? And, uh, you know, I think of old Steve Jobs, you know, just built Apple and his whole story and all that stuff. I don't really know that much about him, only a little bit what I've read. And, you know, here it is. You, you couldn't beat the cancer, right? Couldn't beat the liver cancer. It was just, that was it, you know? And there was... So you're famous, and you started Apple, and you made it, you know, all this kind of money, and you were some kind of marketing genius or whatever, but where is he now? Well, from all I could tell, which is not much, but, you know, he had his 15 minutes. But the most important thing written in the Lamb's Book of Life, well, I, you know, I don't know if his name is there or not. I, I don't think so, but I don't know very much either. <laughs> I can't. You, you know what I mean? So what's more important? You know, so if you're not noticed and you feel like insignificant and nobody, you know, recognizes, you know, your heart for the Lord, hey, the one who does matter, which is the Lord, 
He's keeping record. So we save him, serve him faithfully, and, and the rewards are everlasting, unlike the 31 guys mentioned here. Well, chapter 13. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years. The idea of advanced in years is, you know, when you get advanced in years, the ears can't hear as well, the eyes don't work as well, the limbs don't move as quick. And that's the idea. He was old and advanced in years. In other words, he was pretty worn out. So he was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you're old and advanced in years. <laughs> well, the Lord confirmed it, right? Not only could we tell he was old and advanced in years, but the Lord looked at him and said, you're old and advanced in years. And there remains very much land yet to be possessed. The Lord said to Joshua, yep, you're an old guy. So just go retire. You know, you did enough. That's good. Just kick back. Uh, you know, you don't have to do anything any longer. You know, you're old. That's it. You know, you, you put your time in. That's good. No. <laughs> There's still much to be done. There's still a lot to do. Joshua, I'm not done with you. Yeah, you're old and your body isn't working what it once did, but I'm not done with you. There's still much to do. And I just encourage us, that should be true to our last breath, really. Retirement comes in heaven, not on earth. We're looking for our eternal home, and that's where we're going to have, if you could, I could use the word retirement, where everything's going to be perfect. You don't have to depend on Social Security or Medicare, or, you know, if the government's staying afloat and, you know, skyrocketing costs for this or that, you know, and how am I going to do it all and all this kind of stuff. No, retirement comes in heaven. Now, does our ministry change maybe when we get a little older? Certainly. But it's, it's never done. Retirement comes in heaven. You know, after having, remember we just read, and they, they warred for a long time. And sometimes after a long battle, we might think, okay, we're done. That's it. We, you know, had great victory there. It took a long time, but we had a great victory. Okay, now it's over. No more, no more of that. But we just need to remember, we're going to walk on, in faith and there's going to be constant battles, whether it's from the inside or from the outside or just age or just the, the natural course of things in this world. You know, it, it, it's just going to continue to be that way until the Lord takes us home. And we just settle in. I just got to live a simple life of faith. And it's not all going to be wonderful and great and perfect and all this stuff. I realize there's going to be battles, but Lord, one day you're going to take me home and that's it. No more. Everything's going to be perfect. So there's still much to do. And then he talks about the remaining areas li listed here. Uh, you know, the, Remember, the armies had defeated all these powerful kings and their armies, but there were still smaller cities. Now, there wasn't big, um, uh, you know, uh, big armies and so forth like that. Now it was up for you know, these pockets and these cities for them to take and to defeat. Remember, as I said, they, they defeated this, all the major kingdoms throughout here, but now they had to go in and possess the land. They still had to walk in faith. There was still more to do. And so verse 2 says, This is a land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines and all that are the uh, Gershonites from uh, Sihor, uh, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelites, Ashkelonites, 
the Gittites, the Ekronites, the Ivites, from the south and all the land of the Canaanites, the Merite, uh, Meara, for that belongs to the Sidonians, as far as Aphek, to the border of the Amorites, to the land of the Gibealites, from Lebanon, towards the sunrise, from Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, as far as the uh, entrance of Hamath, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon, as far as the brook uh, Miseroth, and all the Sidonians. And notice this, then I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to, the Isra to Israel as an inheritance as I commanded you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and a half the tribe of Manasseh. So now you start portioning out who's going to live in what section. Uh, just kind of think of it this way, if it helps you think. Just think of uh, some of the states here in, in, in the United States. Think of Israel as United States, but instead of having 50 states, they had orally 13. But, but let's just say 12 for say, argument's sake. So everybody from California that lived in California could trace their lineage back to one of 12 sons from this man, Jacob. And everybody in Arizona, they could tra trace their lineage back to a, a, a one of the other 12 sons. And the people in Oregon could trace their lineage back. And so they settled by people of, you know, not, you know, obviously they moved around a little bit, but for the most part, you settled in the area that you, uh, of where your relatives were. You know, some of them obviously were pretty far distant, but they all could trace their lineage back to one of 12 sons. And, and so that's what they did. Now, he says, you do that. You divide up the land, give them their land, and then, you know, within each land, they'll divide that up and then divide it into smaller pieces. Each family has this piece, and this piece has that piece, and so forth. And he says, then I will, once you do that and you're settled, then you're ready to take the rest of the land. He says, I will drive them out before you. And, and that's what they had. This is what, uh, again, what, what they had and what they had to do. And then they were going to uh, move out and take uh, these lands. And those cities that were listed here, I know they're hard to read, but those are all there that they had to take. And that's what he said. So you're not going to finish them as one group. You're going to, not as one force, you're going to um, do it in smaller groups. Now, again, keep this in mind, because he wanted them to walk by faith, yes, as a large group led by Joshua, but also in their own lives when it got down to more personal things, you know, in a larger family group. And then when it's your area, you know, you want this 10 acres or 12 acres or 15 acres, whatever it was, and however small they divided, you got 12 or 15 people in your family or 20 or whatever it was, and you need this section of land to crops and whatever it might be, raise animals and, and grow vineyards and this and that and uh, fruit trees, then, then that becomes yours. You're going to have to walk by faith too. It comes down to your families and, and, and your groups of families taking these lands. You know, this is the Lord's plan, his will for his people. He could have wiped out everything and had the army do everything, but he, he knows better. You know, there's still pockets of resistance. There's just still going to be some battles you're going to have to fight, but I'm going to be with you. And it's a great picture of the Christian life as well, the Christian spiritual, you know, life. There's going to be pockets of resistance in our lives. And we're going to have to make, we make a decision just like these people made a decision, whether we're going to 
claim the victory and do what the Lord called us to do and walk in faith and drive out those things in our lives that need to be driven out. You, you know, the Lord says you need to take it all. To have victory in the Christian life, you need to take it all. You need to drive out those pockets of resistance that are in your life. And, you know, I, I want to give you this great victory, but you can't learn to live with some of those things. You know, our tendency is, as we'll see as we go through this, that, that they, well, it's just too much work, and I don't know how that's going to work out, so I'm just going to live with it. You know, I, I know I struggle with this, or I have this issue, but I'm just going to, it's just easier to live with it than to, to have victory over it. And so we'll just, I'll try to live at peace with that. And that's what we tend to do, and the Lord says, no, listen, I, I, I want you to drive out all those pockets of resistance. I want to give you great victory in the spiritual life. And, and that was a great picture of what's going on here. It's all yours. Are you going to take it? Or are you going to live with somewhat of a compromise in your life? I, I got great things for you. What are you going to choose? And that was really a decision left to them as well. And then, you know, he, he, he told them in verse uh, 8, he kind of reminds them of the land that the guys on the, the east side of the Jordan River had here. He said, with the half-tribe of the Reubenites and the Gadites, they received their inheritance as Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward as Moses, the servant, the Lord gave them. And, and then he lists all that from verse 9 all the way down to verse 13. Um, he, he gave them all those cities uh, that we've talked about. Um, and, and verse 13 says, Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Gershuites, the Maakanites, uh, um, the Gershuites and the Maconites dwell with uh, among the Israelites until this day. So again, the first group we see that is over here that didn't ever really want to cross over into the promised land. They were happy. Oh, it's good enough. I don't really need to enter into all that the Lord has. This is good enough for me. And they stayed there. Well, they were the first groups that just, you know, we have this beginning of this problem. And they didn't listen to the Lord's warning. You need to get rid of all that stuff. If you try to live in compromise with it, it's going to bring you down. It's only a matter of time. And of course, as we go through the book of Judges, we'll see that these guys were always the first ones to get into trouble. When, when enemy attacked and there was problems, man, these guys were the first ones to, to fall and, and have all sorts of problems. Um, it, it's just important that we just don't become, uh, as these guys did, a borderline believer. You know, we need to enter into the promises that God has for us and enter into the inheritance he appoints for us and rejoice in it um, and not try to live in compromise and live at the border. And, you know, I, I don't want to be too bad, but, I, you know, I don't know about this, you know, Jesus stuff. I don't really want to go super crazy with it. I, I want enough to feel not so guilty. And, and that's it's a horrible place to live. It really is. You know, I, I like this quote, and I'll read it to you. It says, The will of God is the expression of the love of God and is always the best for us. So when the Lord gives us his will, he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get rid of those pockets. Don't have that resistance. Don't put that up. Don't, you need to get rid of those things. And he, when, he, when he gives that, that is his expression of love to us because he loves, he said, this is going to cause problems and difficulties and heartaches and 
I, I, I don't want that. And, and I, I love you too much. And what I have for you, and I, I express my love by giving you my will because it's what's best for you. And, you know, these guys were the first group that didn't do that. They just said, well, it's okay, Lord, thank you very much. Uh, you know, um, we, we had enough, and that's good enough for me. But in the end, it'll cause a lot of problems, as we'll see. And then uh, the rest of it is just those group of people that we decide to call on the east side of the Jordan there. It gives them all their villages, um, all the the different villages, and uh, who had what and what area. And basically, it kind of looks like this, this color part. So the Reubenites lived down here, kind of by the Dead Sea. People from Gad lived right here, and then Manasseh lived up by the Sea of Galilee up there, that lake up there, and, and here. And so that those verses just describe the outline of what's here on the map, and you can see uh, what God had for them. But again, they'll try to live in harmony with people that just don't know the Lord, that aren't walking with the Lord. Um, and uh, it, that never goes well. Uh, especially in, in a person's life. We can't have one foot in the world and, and one foot you know, walking with the Lord. It's just There's just going to be this, this horrible pull, and you won't be satisfied one way or the other. And you'll find yourself you know, struggling consistently, and that's, the Lord wants to avoid that. So he says, listen, you need to put it out, get rid of all that stuff, and, and walk with me. And you'll have the peace and the joy and the love that I want to express and the blessings I want to pour out in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight that we look at these things, Lord. We ask that you would, again, minister them to our hearts, Father. We, uh, Lord, we want to be those people that walk out in faith. And we want to have the same words said about us that was said about Joshua. That, you know, he just, we did everything that you asked us to do, Lord. We didn't question when you said to get rid of this or do this or don't keep this or go over here and do this. You know, it wasn't some big, um, you know, argument or resistance because we didn't like it or didn't see how it worked out. Uh, it's just simple faith, Lord, and walking simply in that simple faith. And help us to be those people, Father. Help us to know, trust that you know what you're saying and know what you're doing and know what you're asking of us and how you're leading us. Um, you're God, and you love us, and you showed us that great love by sending Jesus, that you were willing to sacrifice him for us. And though, Lord, those of us that have loved ones, or children especially, it's, just, it's hard for us to imagine giving them up in place of some horrible murderer, that Golden State murderer that just got caught not too long ago, and all the death and rape and horrible things that guy did for all those years, and, and it's hard for us to imagine if we had to exchange our, 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 our child or someone we love so dearly for, for somebody like that. We'd say, oh, that would be the last thing. And yet, you did that and so much more. It's not even comparable. When you sent Jesus, you gave your one and only son for us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us just shows the love that you have for us. And that should encourage us, Lord, to be people that walk in faith and trust you, Lord, 
and see you do the great work that you want to do in and through our lives as well, Father. So, Lord, bless us and fill us and lead us and guide us, Lord. Help us to be those people that walk by faith and trust you, Lord. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.